Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to episode 10 of season 6 of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to thank you so much for the wonderful support for my Jake Thistle episode, as well as how much engagement you had with Katie Moulton's interview. Uh, both Jake and Katie are extraordinarily creative people in their own fields, and it was a lot of fun branching out and taking a, a tiny break from digging into the, the Heartbreakers catalogue. I was curious to see how applying this process to a different artist's work would feel, but given how much influence Jake uh, takes from Tom as a songwriter, it was a pretty seamless transition, and I enjoyed it a ton. I think I'll try to throw at least one non-petty bonus episode into each season moving forward, um, and I also still have a couple of other bonus episodes to drop in the next few weeks, uh, and I'll let you know about those as I get to them. Today's episode covers the second track from Side 2 of Southern Accents and the shortest song on the album, the brilliant and hilariously satirical character study, Spike. <laughs> Spike is probably Tom's most famous character song. Told from uh, the first-person perspective, it illustrates the collision between contemporary Southern values and modern anti-establishment thinking. In conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, I assume the identity of a really kind of ignorant redneck guy who is kind of shaken up when he sees a punk rocker. I sang it from that point of view. Now, unlike Rebels, it's hard to imagine that anyone could mistake the fact that this is Tom playing a character rather than voicing his own opinion. Though Tom does tell Paul... When you do that, you've got to be really careful because there's a certain part of the audience that really thinks it's you and your point of view. They don't get that you slid into a character. As I say, you don't almost have to be willfully stupid to miss the point of this song. So the song starts in the deep, deep south with bass, acoustic and slide guitar and a slick Rhodes piano part from Benmont. Um, this is as far from California as an adopted Angelino could possibly get in sonic terms. Stan comes in with a little kick to start us off um, underneath that playfully simple bass line that Howie's laying down. And with the reverb cranked up on Mike's guitar and Stan using his brushes on the kit, the song starts out with that wonderfully loose, sloppy shuffle. And I assume people know what brushes are, but maybe you don't as a, as a drummer. So usually a drummer plays with sticks, obviously. Um, but to get that quieter sound and that different sort of tone, it's basically it's a bunch of metal wires or thin rubber or nylon rods bunched loosely together to give you that sort of brushing, quieter tone when you hit the drums. So Benmont's Rhodes' his piano is panned completely into the right channel which gives you that sense of, you know, been playing in the bar that Spike walks into, but tucked away into a dark corner. And Mike's in the other cramped corner, panned way back over on the left, just like he was in the old days on that punk rocker cover debut album. I love how swampy and slick that groove is, with Mike just teasing little fills at the end of each bar of the intro. Leading into the first verse, we get the do 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 those, those vocalizations, harmonized beautifully by Howie and mirrored by Benmont. So that intro is essentially 36 seconds of pure ambience just setting the tone for this dusty, grimy flea pit bar that Spike is walking toward and eventually into. During the live performance of Spike at the 1986 Farm Aid 2 show, uh, Tom sets the scene by saying, he was out one day in the middle of July. It was a hot day. He had his leather on and his dog collar. And he's seen a little bar, you know, uh, looked good to Spike. A couple of gas pumps and a pool table in there. So he walked on in. And even without that narrative, you can sort of backfill that scene once the song starts because you get that exact sort of spit and sawdust feel from the whole tone of the song. And again, in a 2012 um, live performance, Tom tells the crowd that the bar that Spike goes into 
was a bar in Gainesville called the Cypress Lounge, which was, in his words, the meanest, nastiest bar in the whole state of Florida. So there's our scene, all set on Tom's musical canvas and ready for the details to be filled in, as usual, just enough to set our imaginations racing. So the first verse starts as Spike walks into the bar and one of the good old boys sees him over the top of his PBR and nudges his buddies in a very, hey, get a load of this freak way. Look, we got another one, just like the other ones. So clearly Spike isn't the first punk they've seen lately. Another badass, another troublemaker. I'm scared, ain't you boys scared? Um, you can imagine this toothless hillbilly yucking it up with his buddies and leering at Spike, daring him to start something. And underneath the lyrics, that low shuffle continues with a chord change on I'm scared to heighten the tension in the room. And there's a really neat little trick that Tom pulls lyrically when he transitions from the line, ain't you boys scared to, oh, I wonder if he's going to show us what bad is. So he just keeps flowing. He just keeps going straight. He doesn't, there's no pause between um, one sentence and the other. So again, it doesn't sound at all like a song lyric, but exactly the kind of sarcastic antagonism that you find in CD bars the world over. It's such a stilted, crammed into place delivery that it just, again, ramps up that feeling of unease and potential menace and trouble. Boys, we got a man with a dog collar on. Think we ought to throw old Spike a bone. So this is where we discover that the character's name isn't actually Spike. That's just the pejorative nickname that old One Tooth and his pals have decided to bestow upon him. Tom goes up to that falsetto and lands on the root note at the top and then back into the, that do-do-do-do-do-do section. And in the concert, that changes sometimes to um, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. So it changes up the, the phrasing and the vowels that he's using. You know, so that's just the heartbreakers having fun with that. Uh, and on the recording, he leads into that section by saying, make me say. Whereas in concert, he'd usually say, and Spike would say. And I'll leave a couple of links to live performances of this one because when you watch the band play this one, it's almost as if they have more fun playing this song than anything else in the catalogue. Perhaps it's the gleeful parody of an attitude that they don't like that the song embodies, or maybe it's memories of the recording process, or possibly a combination of factors. It's also just a heck of a fun song to sing, really. Um, Tom tells Paul Zolo, I remember we cut that very late at night, really stoned. We were all pretty high, higher than we normally would be. So you can imagine that the recording process itself would have been as much fun as the song is. Some of the looks between Benmont, Mike and Tom during the 86 Farm Aid performance could definitely be described as knowing. In the second verse, we get Mike adding in a touch more of that hot sauce on the slide and is playing throughout this song. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a song called The Man's Too Strong from Dire Straits on the album um, Brothers in Arms, which was also released in 85, coincidentally. Um, though Knopfler's playing a dobro and tonally it's a lot different, the actual licks are quite similar in places, I think. Here's another misfit, another Jimmy Dean. Again, that sneering, who does this punk kid think he is vibe that really makes you root for Spike, even though you know nothing at all about him. Bet he's got a motorbike, what do y'all think? Bet if we be good, we get a ride on it, if he ain't too mad about the future. These lines again are disjointed, and Tom really leans into the drawl to make them accusatory and mocking. Things take a slightly sinister turn, though, with the line, maybe we ought to help him see the future ain't what it used to be. And the second half of both of those two lines are double-tracked on the vocal. So that means you can hear Tom's voice twice, and not harmonised, but singing the same thing twice. Just, a, just another little bit of production that sort of fattens out um, those lines and, and moves the song in a, a slightly different direction sonically. Okay, folks, it's time, right? We're in the middle of the episode again. It's time for some petty trivia. So your last question um, that I already posted the answer to on Twitter was this. Southern Accents peaked at number seven in the US, but which album spent the most weeks at number one on the US Billboard charts in 1985? Uh, was it A, Reckless by Brian Adams? B, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen? 
Three, Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. Or D, No Jacket Required by Phil Collins. So I managed to hoodwink most of you again with this one on, on the Twitter poll. Most of you, 75% in fact, went for Born in the USA. But in ascending order, Brian Adams stayed at number one with Reckless for two weeks. Born in the USA was number one for only three weeks in 1985, but a further four weeks in 1984. Um, Phil Collins hit top spot for seven weeks in three spells. But Brothers in Arms topped the chart for nine straight weeks between August 31st and October 26th. The year began, though, with Prince ending a remarkable run of 24 straight weeks at number one with his magnum opus, Purple Rain. So your question for this week is this. The Heartbreakers performed a killer live version of Spike for Farm Aid 2 in 1986, as I previously mentioned. The event was held at Manor Downs, Texas, but the Heartbreakers set, along with those of the Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan, were broadcast via satellite from which city? Was it A, Gainesville, Florida? B, Buffalo, New York? C, San Diego, California? Or D, Kansas City, Missouri? So don't forget to head over to Twitter to vote for your answer. Okay, back to the song. After two verses, we get the unforgettable chorus. Hey, Spike, what do you like? And this line is sneered over the top of a hanging note with all the instrumentation dropped out. Again, it's a loaded question to this guy. Don't say the wrong thing, buddy. Don't pick the wrong side. There's that territorial feeling creeping in that these guys are having fun mocking this Spike, um, but won't hesitate to escalate their distaste if he challenges their status in any way. The dropping the playing leaves that question hanging in the air for a second before the, the shuffle beat comes back in before dropping out again for a second time. And the first pass of Hey Spike is a four-bar phrase in this, in this first chorus, with the second dropping out after three bars and into that bridge, which is a really spacey, airy, D to C, C to D, alternating chord progression repeated twice. And you can really hear the acoustic guitar in this passage, with Tom adding some grace notes into the lick. There's then an E minor chord, the only time that chord pops up in the song, with Mike playing maybe his shortest ever solo, but my goodness, is it a tasty little slide lick. The song then repeats the refrain, Hey Spike, adding the immortal line, You're scaring my wife, under which there's some congas as percussion and a quiet little tom roll from Stan. More sarcasm from the beer-bellied rednecks as they implore, Hey Spike, tell us about life, before the lead antagonist taunts Spike by saying, I might need me a dog collar too, boy. It might make me safe. So, you know, it's kind of snide really, right? There's no, there's no way to treat people. Um, Mike again ramps up the licks in the outro before the snare drum drops out, leaving the bass and Benmont's part leading things out into the fade. And the last thing we hear in the song is a dog panting and licking its lips. If I had to guess, I'd say that the Hey Spike, You're Scaring My Wife line was improvised you know, while they're high in the studio and left in because it made everyone laugh. And similarly, the dog effect at the end might have been someone you know, either half or fully baked laughing their butt off and suggesting that to end the song. And you know what? I'm 100% there for it. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, that's all for this week. It's a quick one. Um, it's a quick song, though, really, isn't it? I, I, and I'm thinking back, I wonder if there was an element here of Tom giving a sort of a wry nod back to the issues that the album cover of the, of the first Heartbreakers album caused. So, you know, those bullets around Tom's neck on that album cover, combined with the leather jacket, came in 1976, right around the time of the punk explosion and the dawn of 
pierced faces, wild hairstyles, and a you know perceived aggressive type of disregard for authority. So Tom could embody all of that sort of punk aesthetic uh, in his protagonist Spike, who we actually learn very little about, as the song is written from the perspective of a staunch conformist seeing this other and feeling nervous about what he intends to do, and so relies on, as bullies usually do, mocking and disparaging. It's the eternal conflict between the energy of youth and the stoicism of an older generation. Add in the layer of a very socially conservative part of the country, and you get a fabulous cultural dissonance to drop this character into. It's brilliant in that it's a character song, but the character isn't Spike. We never learn whether Spike is a good or a bad guy. We don't know his age, any of his characteristics, where he's from, or what he's doing in this bar. You know, he doesn't belong. And he's just there for the caricature of unwelcoming yokels to contrast with. It's a very clever way to write a lyric. Spike was a mainstay on the Southern Accents tour and played sporadically through to about 1989. And it was a game played here and there in 2001, 2008, and 2011 to 2014. And going through setlist.fm, the only thing I find a little bit surprising is that it wasn't played at all during the Fillmore residency in 97. It's clear the band really liked this song and it made it onto the live anthology, so I'm curious why Spike never popped his head up in San Francisco. So look, for me, Spike's a straight 10 because it's a brilliantly drawn pastiche of parochial attitudes in small towns everywhere. Stereotypes exist because there's a grain of truth in them and Tom captures that truth in the marriage of both the tone of the music and the tenor of the sarcastic abuse which is directed at Spike. This is then married perfectly and undercut melodically with those do-do-do-do-do-do vocalizations. But look, I don't know if I can really put this at the very top table. Yes, it's expertly constructed and stands out on a record full of new ideas as a fun, funny little ditty, but there's not a ton to it musically. And you know, Tom lays down that half-spoken, half-sung vocal uh, gorgeously, and it would be a song that you'd go nuts for if you saw it live. But does it belong on the same shelf as Southern Accents, Rebels, Don't Come Around Here No More? So I have to be as objective as I think I can. Um, so I'm going to give Spike the most rock-solid 8 out of 10 I've given so far. Please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so, please, if you have the means. Uh, as always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I'll continue to do that. Uh, the Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network, so go check them out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet, and you can look for hashtag Deep Dive Podnet as well. Um, I'm sure you'll find something there that you like. They're good people doing great work, and we're adding new members all the time. We've even got some girls now, which is great. Um, don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. You can also find me on YouTube at The Tom Petty Project. So go follow, like, subscribe, do all those kinds of things and leave a review or a rating if you haven't done that already. I appreciate everyone who has done. Um, again, recommend to a friend if they like Tom Petty and they don't know about the podcast. Let's try and grow the family a little bit um, and keep talking to me on social media. Uh, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with The Tom Petty Estate in any way and when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel first to try to find what you're looking for and go to TomPetty.com for official merchandise. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member. Um, they're excellent fan communities, and they are well worth spending some time in. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about another excellent deep cut from the Heartbreaker 6 studio album, Dogs on the Run. Bye-bye.